You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. And today we're talking pitching. Mr. Perfect himself, A's broadcaster Dallas Braden is going to join us. An old friend, an old A, Dan Straley, as we kept in communications with Dan as he was playing over in the Korean Baseball League. So we'll have our final conversation with Dan the K-Man from Korea and then the pitching coach of your Oakland Athletics, Scott Emerson. But here is my conversation with Dallas Braden. That's right. It is A's Cast Live with A's broadcaster from NBC Sports, California. The great Dallas Braden joins us here on A's Cast Live. Dallas, it's been a while. How have you been? Tony, I've been good, man. I've, uh, well, what is this now? Day two with, it's day two, no baseball. It feels like, Already feels like three weeks with no baseball, and it also feels like the game hasn't ended yet all at the same time. I don't know if that's even possible, but that's that's just kind of what it feels like because it wasn't like it was the last pitch of the World Series and then everything was over with. That's not exactly how this thing ended. Well, I got to, you know, I enjoyed so much of just every night having multiple games. Oh yeah. Right? I mean, not having the days off and I, and then like after the series, okay, you get a day off, then you go to the next series. I think this playoff was one of the most enjoyable for me as a baseball fan. We got more baseball than ever before. And just the fact we had it every night, it was awesome. It was incredible. I myself, um, I mean, with the, uh, with the podcast that I have with Barstool Sports, we had a uh, two or three days in a row. We streamed for 12 straight hours. We just watched every baseball game as they started every hour on the hour. And it was incredible. It was, I had three meals in my office watching baseball with our fans. It was incredible. And, and those are just some of the adjustments you, you, you got to make, you know, in, in the business side of things during this different playoff atmosphere, this different format, but from a fan standpoint, I mean, you you touched on it. Baseball every day, multiple times a day, and early on during this thing, it was damn near round the clock, and there was nothing more exciting, at least in at least in my world, in my life, there was nothing more exciting than base than a new set of arms towing the slab every hour, getting ready to write their organization's story in this ridiculously chaotic postseason yeah starting like at one o'clock and then our last games at 6 45 it was just you know ha- having your computer on along with your tv or being able to have as many games on as possible and then they started putting together like a, a red zone for the playoffs which i was like man why can't we have that every night because because uh, there's there's something about the people who are quote-unquote listening to the fans 
that are consuming the sport, something about those people who are in position to be listening. I don't know that if we ran them out to that school bus that we all went to in elementary school, put the headphones on and raise your hand when you hear the beep. I don't know that they're passing that test, Townie. I don't know that they're listening to much, if anything at all, from the people who are consuming the sport. Because the blueprints have continued to be laid out for you by the NFL when it comes to how they are disseminating their product over the over the platforms and different avenues and different ways of consumption. How do you not provide that for people? How? Why would you not? And we can get into the money bubble. But look, how amazing was that? To be able to know that you can dial in right here and you're going to get like you know, pitch to pitch, moment to moment type stuff. You mean to tell me that you're not excited about that on a Sunday afternoon in the middle of August, barbecue blazing, chicken smelling up the entire neighborhood, and come on over here because we've got this Bryce Harper AB about to go down right now. Like, yeah, you can yeah. have that. That's well, real. You know what I like? I like the multiple screens and they just – the broadcaster takes you to the next game. That's the high, but all the other games stay on the screen. Sure. It's just, you switch over to the game where there's a situation where a guy could score and you just keep flipping around, but you keep all the games on, but the, the broadcaster, the guy who's back in the studio just keeps flipping around where the most action is. And, and, and what, what a group would find out very, very quickly is if you stay in your space and you realize that you're providing, not necessarily, a competitive way to watch this game, but you're, you're just, you're providing an alternative. Like you can watch the game. However you'd like, you could also watch the sport and watch multiple games like this. And what you'll find out very quickly is if you can do that, well, you no longer become an alternative. You become the go-to you become the way that people who are just flipping through the channels would love to watch 10, 15 minutes half an hour of baseball, but just can't for whatever reason, kids screaming, job, school, can't dial in for three and a half hours, but they know that they could go to DB and Uncle Townie and watch 30 minutes of crazy at-bats all throughout the league. That'd be a great landing spot for baseball fans. You and I could do that show easy. I could do that standing on my head underwater, Townie. <laughs> and that would get us ratings. <laughs> Bringing the speedo, baby. Oh, man. I'm, you know, that's the thing. I'm, I miss watching you guys every single night. You know, from an ace perspective, before we get uh, into some of the questions about the World Series, what would you like to see with this roster coming up here in this offseason? You know, it's it's... It's interesting because there are some decisions to be made, right? There are some decisions to be made. Uh, which way do you want to attack this thing? Offensively, up the middle, can we include Marcus Simeon in the plans moving forward? The ability to work backwards from a bullpen standpoint and pencil in a guy like Liam Hendricks and then let the rest of it shake out behind it. but. You've got answers to potentially fill that hole should you not be able to bring him back with a guy like Jake Diekman. Um, so I think it's going to be a question of where I think the organization feels like their strengths in the minor leagues and or on the outside of that 25 core 
looks like? Where are you best suited to be able to bring reinforcements in without feeling like you're not competitive? And if that's on the position player side, then I can see them really trying to figure out what they're going to do in that starting rotation because there's got to be some there there's got to be some give and take there right bassett has has planted his flag um you're going to continue to give those opportunities to lazardo as we see him grow um i i think what we saw is there's there's obviously pop in that lineup but if the usual usual suspects aren't there and aren't clicking and we can point to the the step back that kd took then then where does the juice come from? And maybe that's something you pay attention to. They went out and got Jake Lamb for a reason. Obviously, Matt Chapman's down, but Jake Lamb fit a he fit a bill that they were looking for. Power potential maybe from the left side as well. Um, second base is going to have to get decided, Townie. I would love to see. I would absolutely love to be able to tell fans of the Oakland A's that you're going to watch Chad Pender get 500 at-bats. I would love to be able to tell Oakland A's fans that. And I think he's earned that right. How? I mean, come on. What the guy did in the postseason, bad hammy, stepping up. I mean, the dude's grit is there. But, I mean, has he not, I don't want to say paid his dues, but has he not given you every reason to believe that he's the warrior that goes out on his shield and has earned the right to to finally get that everyday opportunity because he showed you like to a point that it almost teases you like damn I'd love to see Chad Pinder every day in left field I'd love to see Chad Pinder every day at third base well we can't we got Matt Chapman there well what about shortstop he can play shortstop we've seen him do that Dallas we have Marcus Simeon okay well wow he's not playing first over Ole and it's almost like what if they had another infield position that we could give Chad Pender a ton of look at, a ton of at-bats at, that could potentially bolster the lineup and the death chart. What? What is it there? Because if I'm counting, I'm going around the horn. There's home plate, there's third. The guy that stands in between third and second, he plays. Oh, short. That's right, second base. Second base, Tony. I don't know. I want- yeah, I I I remember the last post game show after they got eliminated. I was like, can we can we find I in our last Bob Melvin show? I asked him about it. I thought, can we finally just give this guy an opportunity? He's a better athlete than you think. He's got better power than you think. I mean, he's obviously a very good athlete, well, former shortstop. I mean, that, it's kind of, it's kind of a no brainer. And he's well, and, and and it's and it's it's that <laughs> you take uh you take the temperature of the room within that within that room and to a man. You, you, they'll tell you who's uh like who's got the most juice who's got the most pop chad pinder's name if it's not the first one out of guy's mouth they don't end the conversation without telling you oh and by the way don't sleep on chi that's how that goes and when you have dudes like matt olson and chris davis with just light tower power telling you that there's very well an another guy that we need to be talking about. You pay attention to stuff like that because you're also paying attention to the versatility that you see. So there's no way for me, Chad Pinder isn't on the radar to, to finally fill a void that I think Oakland had been trying to find a, an answer and a solution to for a while via the, you know, Barreto and machine. And so we'll see. 
you know, Jesus Lazardo, it, it, it was tough for me because so many people, and, and you love the kid, but so many people were coming on my show going, he's the A's best pitcher. And I'm going, whoa, whoa, slow down. You don't, I mean, basically in September through the playoffs, he had an ERA over five. Mm-hmm. He struggled. Mm-hmm. He's got electric stuff, but he's not a pitcher yet. And I want your opinion because of his size. It seems that everything's coming in through the same plane, whether it's his fastball, his breaking ball, changeup's really good, but everything is not, it's not like you're a guy like Mark Mulder and you're the tall guy or you're like glass now and it's coming down on you. It's really kind of like the same plane for the hitters and a lot of it's kind of the same speed. Everything's hard. And that's where I think he gets hit hard because people get used to it. What do you think he could do to become more of a pitcher than a thrower? It's about understanding why he's getting the results he's getting. And I always start talking about with young guys, I I use a phrase called honing their cone. Hone your cone. And that means your misses. If you look at a strike zone and you look at where a guy is executing, there's probably a lot of dots outside of the strike zone in the lower levels. You think double A, triple A. And that's because guys are kind of spraying the zone, right? They've got great stuff. They can compete in the zone early. But when it comes to putting guys away, they, they haven't quite figured out how to work off of a miss that they have intentionally created. So throwing that fastball two and a half inches off the black in because you're going to throw your changeup maybe about an inch and a half or so off away, knowing that that's the process you're going to employ and execute has a lot to do with how guys progress. Because if you're just up there waiting for the sign to be put down, maybe you aren't necessarily thinking your way through this game. And that's not the case with these guys because Lozardo does his homework and Sean Murphy does his homework. As far as stuff goes, just a pure stuff uh, point that you're making with high velocity, a lot of it is hard. Maybe there is some attention paid to uh, the blending of the breaking balls, right? Because they'll drop a slower one in there for strike one, and then it'll really bury that hard one towards the back foot. Uh, throwing that pitch for strikes more can help him because as we saw Glasnow work through this postseason, what'd you see? You saw those hitters just, look, either throw the curveball for a strike twice at this point, or we're just not going to swing at it, and we're going to hammer your 100-mile-an-hour heater when you decide to throw that anywhere near the strike zone. And that's what the opponents can start to do to guys is they eliminate things that you just can't throw for strikes. And so now you're 96, 97 with good life from the left side um, isn't as sexy as you want it to be. And you're thinking, why? Well, it's because the other weapons that make it as good are now non-factors because you can't command those pitches. So there's a difference between throwing your repertoire and pitching with your repertoire. And him understanding how to pitch with his stuff and learn to add a little, subtract a little, maybe with the changeup, right? Instead of really driving that ball through the zone like he does with the fastball, maybe it is a matter of, and and I'm just, I'm using a phrase here, but putting it a little deeper in the back of your hand, which would just mean figuring out a way to reduce a little more velocity. But those are just little things that can be paid attention to in his side work during the offseason and once we get into spring training 
So I think spring training will be a big, big point of emphasis for Lizardo to really start refining his ability to add and subtract at game speed. You're on the mound in the World Series, and you're dealing. And I'm you're losing my right. mind, Tony. I'm losing my mind. I'm fighting everybody within arm's distance. I, I asked Rick Honeycutt earlier. I said, what would, what would have happened if Dave Stewart's out there rolling and Tony La Russa comes out in a World Series game to try and take him out? He's like, yeah, that ain't happening. I'll tell you what happens. I'll tell you what happens right now. Larry Davis has to roll out there with a damn stretcher to wheel honey off the mound. That's what happens. You're going to have to call a trainer to clean up that mess that Stu just left out there for you, for you to even think about sending somebody out there to go get him like they went and got Blake Snell. Absolutely can not happen. He was robbed of a legacy moment. The organization was robbed of a legacy moment, in my opinion. And I said this, we don't know what it would have looked like at the end of it all. At the at the end of nine, we don't know what it was guaranteed to look like. We had a pretty damn good idea going into that, though. A really, really good idea of what it could have looked like. And for that to happen right there, and it's it's funny to think that the numbers that you had so heavily relied upon to get you to where you are, are exactly what got you to where you are. Does that make sense? Totally, because so many people are trying to defend it going, that's what they do. And then you're like, okay, well, the guy you're bringing in has just been historically bad. I know he had a good regular season, but if you're still – Dallas, I'm going to keep saying this. You can't play – game six of the world series like it's june 6th of the regular season and and you can't play it with your calculator and here's the thing we know calculators are a part of the game and i i understand and nobody will tell you more than me that numbers are important they play a role they're necessary and needed at this point for players what you need to understand if you're that numbers individual if you're the think tank all right let me explain something to you i don't want the splits of the switch hitter over the course of the entire season when I'm facing him in October. You want to know what the splits I want to pay attention to? Show me his splits the last two weeks. Show me what he's been doing against guys like me the last two weeks. I don't care what the entire seasons look like. You want to know why? Because we're way past that point, aren't we? We are way beyond that point. So I'm going to need the most recent chunk of information that I can have. I'm talking right now, real-time data. What do you got for me, nerd? What do you got? That's what I want. And you want to know what was available? Real-time data. Real-time information that was telling you the next three hitters that Blake Snell was about to face were 0 for 6 with 6 punch-outs. The real-time data was telling you that the first four hitters in that lineup we're 0 for 8 with 7 punch-outs. That's what the real-time data was telling you. So for you to make a decision based on what was popping off in May is a farce. And you should be absolutely ridiculed for it the way you are. Because there's no hiding behind that. I said this. It's almost as if managers these days are given two 
pools, two lists of decisions that they can make. All right. Pool A is the decisions that you can make based on the numbers. And there's no arguing the result. You made that decision based on the numbers we gave you. It is what it is. Live with the result. You keep your job. Or pool B. Sure, you can make your decisions based on gut and feel, but should you fail in those moments, we're going to keep track of those times that you've failed. And those will start to accumulate points. And so if you accumulate X amount of gut points that led to losses, that created failure, well, now understand we reserve the right to fire you because it's clear that your field decisions didn't work out. So managers get to make a decision. Do I pull from pool A, let the numbers defend my decision-making, and I don't have to apply any feel whatsoever? Or do I want to lean on the wisdom that I've accumulated as a guy who spent my entire life on a baseball field? And do I want to tap into the feel and what I'm actually witnessing right now in real time? Because if I do, and I think that's the way to go, I'm going to make that decision. But if I like my job, I know what decision I should make or I know what the safe decision is. And it feels like that's where managers have been boxed into now. Hate it. It's terrible. It's no way to watch the game. It's no way to manage the game. It's no way to play the game. Not at all. Not at all. Because I've always said this. You want to know why in baseball, one of the toughest games to Uh, if you were going to responsibly gamble in an area where it was legal for you to do so, if you were going to do that on baseball, um, you want to know what can screw you, Townie, real quick on any day? A guy like me making it to the field and and actually going out and making my start. Like, I'm the worst thing that can happen to anybody who's trying to bet on the game of baseball. And if at any point in time, someone wants to interject on that kind of a day and go, hey, I know things are going good right now, but we all know what the computer says, too. You're all done here. Thanks for six innings. What? (laughs) You wouldn't have a perfect game. (laughs) I'd be in jail because people would have been bleeding. You are the best, my friend. We miss you. We miss seeing you. It's glad to see you in your little home studio there. And uh, let's catch up soon. Absolutely. Cody, hey, don't be shy, my friend. I see you got a microphone attached to that headset. Big love for you, brother. I want to congratulate you guys. Um, Hey, not an easy year. Not an easy year at all by any stretch when it comes to executing, getting things in place to be executed. Townie. You are very lucky to have a guy like Cody. We are very lucky to have guys like you continuing to beat the drum for the club. So thank you guys very much. You're the best. We'll be in touch. All right, boys. We'll see you. Dallas just gets me fired up. <laughs> I love that guy. And Dan Straley, I, this was a lot of fun. Commander Cody hooked us up where we talked to Dan multiple times over there in Korea to see how it was going, how South Korea baseball was evolving, and we got one last chance to check in with Dan before he left Korea. Well, Dan, it's great to see you again. Uh, the beard has been shaved, so it looks like uh, you're you're ready to uh, make your way back to the United States. I am ready to make my way back. Uh, I was uh, cordially invited by my wife to not come home 
with a five inch beard. Um, I put, I, I put my, my razor in quarantine. I put my, my, like just any sort of, tra- it was just, it was like, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. It was, it was pretty disgusting. It was, uh, it was not a very like pretty looking beard. It was just like, Hey, just don't touch it for nine months and let's see what happens type of beard. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, the, the, the season ended for me. My team's got a couple games left. My season ended for me. Uh, I trimmed the beard off and I walked around the clubhouse and my own manager had to ask who I was. My teammates had no clue who I was. It was quite comical because there's only like two guys in the clubhouse with, with, with my skin tone yet people were trying to figure out who I was. So it was, uh, it was, it was pretty funny. So, you know, I, I think about the couple times that we have gone to Tokyo to take on the Mariners to open up the season in, in Japan and for all of us, uh, what an experience that has been. I, I did London with the Raiders back in the day and the NFL. But but we always knew that it was going to be, you know, about two weeks. And then you come back home. For you, what a journey. What an experience. What has this been like for you in your life? Because you've been there for, I don't know, what, like eight, nine months. Yeah, it's uh, it. It's been different. It's very been different. I did not expect to be out here by myself. I expected to have my wife and my son here um, at least part of the time. Um, but like COVID changed things for us. It changed our situation. It changed our circumstance. But to come into a country where you you don't speak the language, you don't know the culture, you don't know really. I didn't really know much about Korea, period, before I got here. Um, and to just be thrown into that environment in the middle of a pandemic uh, was a challenge. It was very much a challenge at first. Uh, I feel very blessed that my translator is an amazing guy. He helped us out in so many ways, uh, made us feel so comfortable being here. But just like the whole experience of it all has been a once in a lifetime, if you will, type of experience. Um, And that being said, I didn't get to do much. Like I was out here on a mission playing baseball, working my butt off, uh, not really allowed to go be a tourist on days off, not allowed to go be a tourist and do things that uh, I wish I would have had time to do over here. So hopefully uh, down the road someday, like I'll get a chance to come over here and be a tourist because uh, this country has a lot of really cool things, a lot of cool history to offer. And uh, I would love to go check it out, but I just didn't have the time. So there's, there's a lot of stuff uh, that I still want to do. But I was over here for baseball, and so that was that was the focus. Yeah, that is pretty amazing to me when you think about it, is that here you are, you're going over there to play baseball, uh, a pandemic hits, it changes everything, and now you're living through a deadly pandemic, and you're doing it in a foreign country without friends, family, everybody around you. Uh, you know, I, I think – you being able to go through something like this, really, I, I, I commend you how strong you have to be as an individual to have the success you had this year playing baseball, but yet under these circumstances, that could break a lot of people and it didn't break you. It it pushed me. It pushed me to the edge. It sure did. It uh, All of us, all of us have been uncomfortable uh, this, this 2020 year, this never-ending year. Um, I felt like our baseball season wasn't going to end. I mean, I'm going into these, these big stadiums. Uh, many of the stadiums are 
25,000 people stadiums and there's nobody there. Um, anybody in baseball experienced that this year, but like we were doing it for 144 games. Like it's, it's a lot more than, than it, I realized at first. Um, and it just kind of, it, it was a whole new level of focus. I had to try to find immense trying to like, or amongst trying to, to learn a new group of hitters and, and figure out what I needed to fix professionally, like trying to like do so in such a weird environment that I've never been in, uh, in terms of playing in front of nobody. Like it was just weird. But at the end of the day, like I'm just trying to provide for my family. I'm trying to be the best baseball player I can. Uh, I came over here with, with things to work on, things to fix and, and, and things to accomplish. And, and I feel very blessed that I was able to do that. You know, you know, we 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 got to watch it. Obviously, you had some really good times with the Oakland Athletics and, and had some good seasons. I, I think for you mentally now, as a professional, as a man, whenever you have another challenge going forward in your professional career, I gotta feel like the hurdles won't seem as high after what you've been able to get through now. Like. Do you feel like, you know, whatever you're going to throw at me, I'm going to be ready to get after it. Yeah, it's it's funny you said I've uh, I've started a podcast this summer. And one of the things we've talked about many times in this podcast is like, I feel like baseball's thrown every situation at me professionally uh, in terms of like on the field. And now I feel like baseball's thrown every situation at me, like personally, <laughs> in terms of off the field. I've, you know, uh, had the highest of highs, the lowest of lows. It seems like in this game of baseball, uh, there's like, there's so many days that like, you're just like, I hate this game. I love this game. Like, why am I doing this? I love this. Like, you're just like back and forth, but that's baseball. And, um, like you feel that as a fan too. Sometimes you're like, I hate this game. Why do I watch this game? And then you're like, Oh, I love this game. Like, this is so exciting. So it's, it's, it's no different for players, but yes, uh, baseball has given me so many life lessons. It's given me so many uh, just, just insight to different things about myself. But, uh, I, I owe a lot of, of who I've turned into as a person to baseball. I mean, it's been 12 years professionally doing this and, uh, yeah, uh, never thought I would find myself over here amongst, you know, let alone in a pandemic. Um, but it's just another lesson that baseball has given me. You know, what, what, what you mean to the A's fan base, uh, my producer Cody is a great example uh, Cody, isn't it true that you stood up uh, all night long waiting uh, to be able to add uh, Dan Straley to your fantasy league team? What, what you were you, you stayed up to like 5 a.m. to where he was eligible? What was that? What was that story? Yeah. So when you were uh, dominating in AAA, when you had all the strikeouts, we were all talking about it in our league. and We're like, we got to add this guy. The A's are calling him up. And I'm living on the East Coast at the time that year, those years ago. I went up till about six a.m. Eastern to add you, and I I got there and nice. I, I I added you, and I was like, yes, I won the battle. And I was like, I got the guy that's striking everybody out, and you didn't disappoint when you came up. So uh, it was one of the greatest, one of my greatest achievements in fantasy baseball. I've won championships, but waiting up and out, outlasting everyone until six a.m. to add you was probably one of the top five moments of my life. There you go. I, uh, well, I'm, I'm happy to hear that that I've that I that I gave you that much joy. Some 23 year old AAA kid just having fun striking people out. I'm glad you knew I was coming up because I had no clue when I got called up. But I'm glad I'm glad you knew that. Well, you, you know, and, and I remember doing your first radio interview when you when you showed up to to where you are now and um, doing your podcast. Let's promote that because I'm sure A's fans are going to love this because. 
your journey is fascinating. And the fact that you're willing to put yourself out there and talk about your journey and all the stops and your family and everything that is about this crazy baseball life, we're all a part of this. We are, we're all going through it at different ages of our life, but uh, baseball is a crazy lifestyle. No matter whether you're a player, your coach, your front office, your broadcaster, it, it, it's something that most people don't really understand what it's like, and now you're putting yourself out there, so promote it. Yeah, no, you've you actually just nailed exactly what we're trying to do with the Journeyman podcast. Um, we've got every stop of my career covered. We've got uh, some amazing guests, but most of the guests are people that bring the game to the greater the greater population. Like it's a lot of broadcasters and reporters and uh, them telling their stories because we're all a part of baseball. Like yes, the guys on the field are the show as they call it, but like that doesn't happen without everybody. I've had front office members and reporters. I've had Alex fast is he, he works for the pitchers list and MLB like producing like gifts for, for like their, their socials. And I've had all these different groups of people, the Mariners uh, play by play or radio broadcaster. And so like, we've just had so many different people come on this show to tell their stories and how it's in baseball. Um, and it's been awesome agents uh like hearing how people got their start as an agent like it's just fascinating to me because i just love stories and logistics but the biggest part was like trying to help people understand that like there's way more people like myself um travis blackley was a guest there's more people like us than than there are the mike trouts of baseball there's way more people that like are involved in the situation than, than people realize. And so it's just been really fun telling those stories. You know, when you look back at your career and you look back at all the different places and all the different coaches and all the different players that you played with and the experiences, you know, when you start to like look at your career, cause you're not a kid anymore, obviously, what is that like for you to go back and really look at your journey and go, you know what? Dan Straley's, you know, for the most part, yeah, it's 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 been it's been a special trip for you. It has been. I was, and before I say this, like it's not over. Like I really don't feel like it's over. But um, it's, I was a twenty fourth round draft pick by the A's, and I got signed or I got drafted because they knew I would sign and go fill a spot. And uh, I had a teammate once, uh, it was a, he was a high prospect at the time before I was, uh, and he was like, he had this, one of my favorite quotes, I won't use his name, but he had one of my favorite quotes was like, you guys are just here to pitch because I can't pitch every day. And we were like, wow. Okay. Um, what but, a beauty he must've been, <laughs> but he, but he, but, but like, like the reality of it is, is like, he was right. Like he was right at this point in time. Like he was right. And like, yeah, he might not have said that, uh, you know, had he been totally sober, if you will. But the he, he said that to us and we were like, OK, um, I get it. Like this is like that was kind of like one of those like first like reality checks in baseball. And it was like, how can I become that guy? How can I become the one that? And so like it just like I just kept working, kept working. I was very blessed um, with, with the A system to have such great coaches. Uh, Gil Patterson is still a major reason why I'm playing baseball today. Um, that guy has helped me in so many ways. I still use the things he taught me on his pitching pyramid about how to handle this game mentally. Um, 
day one in Arizona in his classroom. Like I, there, there's so many lessons that he's taught me um, professionally um, that, that have stuck with me. And so like, I got drafted by the A's and I literally had a fastball. Like that was it. I threw one pitch in college that translated over to, to, to professional baseball. And it was only my fastball. Everything else about my game changed. And so uh, it was just like, yeah, uh, it's been an incredible journey. Um, doing the podcast helped me realize that. Like when you sit down and like actually like tell the story of each stop, I started realizing how many, like when I put the list together of like our, our, all this, it was just like, wow, like there's, I've played in 16 different cities. Like that's incredible. Like 16 different home cities. And like, just to, to tell all those stories, like, yes, I'm, I'm very, very proud to put my name next to, to my career. You know, your, your, your time there in the KBO when you're going to leave and you're come, you're, you're finally going to come back. And it's hard to believe you've been away from your wife and your son for so long, but you're finally going to come back. Are you coming back better physically or do you think you're coming back better mentally? What, what's the number one thing you're taking, taking from the KBO? I think both. Um, I was coming off an injury last year and, and a bad season, like on top of it. And I found out about the injury late in the late in the season. And so I, I got everything cleaned up, took care of myself physically, came over here, uh, changed my added a curveball and changed my change up and essentially changed my fastball. And so came over here and, and changed three pitches. I mean, that's a big deal when you only throw. I mean, I throw four pitches and to change three pitches to come over here and have success with that and. Like I was basically pitching the track man for so long. Like I was over here, like after games, like I didn't, I wasn't so concerned with my result as to what did the numbers say? What did the, what did the data say about my pitches? Have I got my stuff back? Like, is it still there? Like, those were the questions I was trying to answer. Not did I get outs today? Like that was how it all started for me. And so coming over here and, and, and taking care of myself physically, but then at the same time having success with that, like, made the mental aspect of this thing even way better. And um, if I have to be away from my family, it's, it's nine months tomorrow, actually. Um, but who's counting nine months tomorrow. And like, if I have to come and be, be away for that long, at least I'm able to have that much success to attach to it. Not to get too emotional. Um, what do you think that's going to be like when you land and you see them? Oh, dude, I've played this over in my head so many times. I'm going to land in, in Ben Redmond airport on Saturday and uh, Captain America also my known as my son. Uh, it's, it's, it's Halloween when I land. So I know he's going to be dressed up as Captain America. Oh, I've awesome. already, yeah. Yeah. And I know that he's going to, he's going to probably just come running over as soon as I walk through the little gate and I'm going to lose it. I am. There's no chance that I have dry eyes during this situation. Like there's just no chance I've, gotten like just even like teary eyed just thinking about it before like the last couple of days like and so like just just being apart from them has been so tough um my wife has been an absolute trooper i i don't know how she's like done this she's working 40 hours a week during a pandemic and like she hasn't worked in a few years she's a nurse and so she went back to work in february and so like the hell of a time to go back to work as a nurse when you haven't <laughs> been doing it for a while too and so um, but you know, she needed to, she needed to go back to work and do that to keep her license. Um, and so, so she did. And, uh, it's been, 
yeah, I, I don't, I don't know how she's done it. Hats off to her, but I, uh, yeah, there's no chance that I stay unemotional, if you will, when I, uh, when I, when I get to to Oregon on Saturday. You know, Liam Hendricks was just on our program as he won the American League Reliever of the Year, the Mariano Rivera uh, Award, and we talked to him about, you know, baseball in the future. And I think about what he had to say, and I think about your journey, and baseball has learned to play through this. And maybe that is one positive we're going to take away heading into 2021 is that you just went through what? What was it? 144 games. They went through 60 games here. Uh, just talk about that, how baseball in different parts of the world has learned to play a season. Yes. Um, I, yeah, I can't speak to anything that happened over in, in MLB this year, but over in the KBO, like it was, we were, we were doing it and playing games in front of nobody. Uh, we were just walking in every day and having our version of the protocols to, to be able to be healthy. And, you know, we were told the whole time, like, Hey, if anybody gets sick in the whole KBO, if anybody gets COVID in the whole KBO, like we're shutting it down. So like, stay in, be safe, be careful. Like, don't get it. And like, that sounds easy, but it's like, at first it was. And then it's just like, how long can I sit in my hotel and do nothing? How long can I sit in my apartment and do nothing? Um, but that's just what it took. That's what it took for us to be able to have a season over here. Um, and we also got fans. We got a little fans for part of the year. Like we are, we have fans at the stadiums right now, but like for a while we had 20% fans, 25% fans, 30% fans. And then, and then it went away and back to zero for like another month and a half, which was torture. Cause it was like, we got fans for a while and then it went away, but it's just been so different. Like it's never been anything like you envisioned baseball being, and I'm sure it's very similar in the States, but over here, um, the games are very different. Like the, the crowd interaction with the game is so different than anything that I've ever seen in America. And uh, I didn't get to see it in full capacity here, but um, I got to see a little bit and like, I'm just thankful to have that energy in the stadium. And, and, you know, it really makes you realize how important fans are to this game. Like we've always said, like as players, like, the fans that we play for the, the fans literally pay our salaries. They pay for everything, but it's like the energy they bring to the stadium is what I truly, truly, truly missed. And so, uh, yeah, we're all learning how to, to, to have baseball, uh, the new way for now. But, uh, I, I just hope for the fans sake, I just, I, and for the players sake, I really hope we get fans back. I don't know if we're going to go to the universal DH. But let's say we don't, and you get to have a couple ABs. Tell me how good your bat flip is going to be after what you have learned from really the greatest bat flippers we've ever seen in the history of baseball. Um, yeah, I I get kind of upset like my teammates when they don't flip it now. Um, <laughs> my uh, we we hit a walk off last night and. It was one nothing home run walk off like zero zero going in the ninth walk off. It was great, and it hit the foul pole too. And he like set his bat down. And this guy is known for like bat flipping, like he's like famous, infamous, if you will, back in the states for bat flipping. And it and it goes caught on the warning track and has he rounded first. Like he was just like in absolute disbelief, and like I I get like 
kind of irritated when these guys don't backflip. Like it's like it's been it's just part of the game. It's part of the swing here. Um, and I, at the same breath, though, like I don't even I don't even notice it. Like I gave up ten homers this year, and I don't even remember seeing anybody backflip. Like I wasn't watching them. You know what I mean? Like I was watch I was watching the ball, hoping it stayed in the park type of thing. And so uh, it's just like the if I come in though, like obviously you didn't get a you didn't do very good research and see my numbers. Um, I wasn't making too much contact in my 150 plate appearances in the big leagues in the past. So uh, I think uh, I think bat flipping might be maybe bunt flipping, maybe bunt and toss it. Maybe that's best. Maybe that's more my speed. But uh, yeah, I'll uh, I'll definitely be taking some of that home for for you guys. Give the name of the uh, the podcast one more time for all of our fans to uh, take part. Uh, the Journeyman Pod. We, uh, yeah, we we try to come out with an episode every Monday. We just finished what we're calling season one, uh, taking a short break as uh, our, my season's done here and travel back to America. Um, but yeah, anybody interested in just hearing different stories of minor leagues, major leagues, being over in Korea, uh, many different perspectives, like come check us out. What was your first year with the A's? Uh, 09. Oh, nine. Oh, nine. Well, I've known yeah. me a long time, Dan. And I got to tell you, I have a lot of, I have a, I have a, uh, I have a lot of respect for you as a man, as a professional and, and everything that you're going through right now. I mean, a, a, a ton of respect really, really. And, uh, thank you so much for coming on. We truly appreciate it. And I know on Halloween, what a special moment that's going to be for you and your family. And then, you know, in the next couple of weeks, let's let's hook up again and talk more about it and kind of get the perspective of coming home. And because right now you're still in it, it'll be different when you come home. And then we look back at what that journey was like almost a year being out of the United States. Yeah, I'm not coming back to the same United States that I left for sure. So, uh, um, yeah, I, 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 I'm not nervous to come home, but I'm anxious to see how different it is going to be compared to to what to what I left. Well, great stuff, my friend. We'll talk soon. Sounds good, Chris. Take care. Always a big fan of his. He's a really good guy. Great to have him back on the program. And then I say it all the time. The minute this guy doesn't want to be in baseball, he can be a broadcaster immediately. Nobody better than Emo. Truly one of the great pitching coaches in the game of baseball. Just not what he can teach you physically. It's also what he can teach you mentally. Here is the pitching coach of your Oakland Athletics, Scott Emerson. Emo, it's been a while. Uh, how is life back at home? Oh, life's good, you know, just going through uh, the everyday things that you do in the offseason, uh, hanging out with the wife and the dog, a uh, lot of hanging out time with them. Wife's working mostly from home. She goes into the office every now and then, and, and the dog's all, all over me. So uh, uh, everything's going good so far. Was it weird to go from the bubble you guys were in to then to go back home to kind of normal civilian life? Yeah, a little bit. You know, uh, at, at one point we tested, what, two straight weeks for COVID every day. Uh, and now you're, you're, you're out of this bubble. You're home to civilization. You're, um, you know, moving around uh, the neighborhood. Uh, I still don't go out that much, to be honest with you. But, uh, you know, I'm just aware of my surroundings with this COVID stuff still going on. we got to figure out something to get, get it done. Yeah, because, you know, the way you guys were operating and the rest of the world, it's just, uh, you, you know, very, very different. But 
Uh, it was just so big that we were able to get through it. Just how proud are you of the players, Bob Melvin, the staff, that you guys were able to get through it, play a season, get into the playoffs, win the division. It was a great accomplishment. you, you got to be proud. Yeah, you know, to, to be able to be with a, a group of guys and, and have, you know, I think we had two two instances all season long. Uh, you know, Nick Paparesta and, and Tony, uh, uh, our athletic trainers, that they, they did an amazing job. I mean, coordinating the testing. Uh, I mean, and our guys did the best that they possibly could uh, throughout the course of the days to, to, to adhere to the protocols. You know, it's not that easy to constantly wear a mask. You know, for me, it was, it was like, man, I got to get this mask off every now and then. And, uh, you know, you're sitting in the clubhouse and you, you pull it down to breathe and, and to get a drink and you go outside to, to kind of get some fresh air. So, you know, and, and then the guy's got to, you know, work out and play the game and, and do the physical stuff. So, you know, it was challenging. Uh, our, our guys did the best that they could. I was, you know, me personally, I was proud of them. But I was, you know, really, uh, I really admired the work of our athletic training staff and how they uh, really grinded everybody and kept everything together. Well, and I think about your staff and how your staff, you know, performed so well this year from the starters to the bullpen and what you guys were able to do. There's a reason why you guys won the division. And the biggest reason is your pitching staff. Well, you know, I mean, it, it's a it's a total team effort. You, you, one, you got to go out and outscore the other team. Uh, so you got to find ways to score runs, uh, and you got to you know limit the runs so you can outscore the other team. You know, uh, we played pretty good defense. Uh, we pitch pretty good, and we get timely hitting. And and basically, that's the name of the game. And uh, you know, our guys. Uh, pitchers the the offense the defense these guys work hard every day and that's what i'm most proud of is you know you put the effort in and then the games you go out and take the test and, and you know we won 36 games and and you know coming off of 297 wins in a row that's a pretty good accomplishment in my opinion you know one guy that i think we're all so happy for and what he has overcome because we you know, we, we act like Tommy John surgery is like going in and getting a tune-up with your car, and that is just not the case. And some guys really struggle to come back. Some guys never come back. And I just think about how uh, Chris Bassett blossomed in front of our eyes after having to go through all the issues with Tommy John surgery to finally come back. Remember in spring training, we were talking about, well, he might be the sixth guy. He might be coming out of the bullpen. And in the end, he becomes your best starter. Just how happy were you for Chris for all that hard work finally paid off? You know, uh, Bass has done a tremendous job. You know, in 19, when he accepted his role as just being a pitcher on this staff and doing the things that, uh, you know, the uh, team is asking him to do was, was awesome. And then being able to, like you said, you know, there was, times where you, we really didn't know what the rotation was going to shake out and uh you know he's in that rotation this year he anchored that rotation uh and I've always talked about uh in, in shows in the past about when you know he came off that rehabilitation assignment in 19 uh from his uh injury I think when he get hit by a, a liner in, in Japan and uh he came off that you know little stint on some rehab assignments he really picked up the team with uh, being a great teammate and 
And that festered into his ability to stay even keel out on the mound. And, you know, he goes out there, he competes, uh, he prepares himself really well. Uh, you know, there's adjustments we make in between outings and starts. And, you know, we, we tinker with some, uh, uh, a little bit and, and some spin stuff on the baseball and it doesn't, you know, get in and affect his ability to go out and compete and pitch. And those are the types of guys that, that you really want out there. The guys that you can work on something with, and if it doesn't succeed or doesn't work, they can go back to be doing what they've done in the past. And Or if it succeeds, you take your game to another level. And I think there's some things that he's done that have taken his game to another level. But most of all is just going out there and, and when the phone rings, whether it's starting or relieving, is just going out there and competing. And he does that real well. What did you say to Jesus Lazardo? when you had that final conversation on what this young budding superstar needs to work on this off season? Well, you know, every, every, uh, you know, I think I've always talked about too. Sometimes you don't have to say much because they tell you, you know, you, you put them in a situation and, uh, you know, like I talk about with Lizardo, he's got electric stuff. He's got to go out and pitch and perform on papers, one thing, but going out and doing it in the game is another. And then, uh, you know, as the course of the season goes on, they're giving you the feedback that you've probably, you know, you've already given them, but, you know, they don't know until they actually go out and, and compete and pitch. And I know things, you know, I know I remember one game, I think it was Todd uh, Frazier, possibly, uh, when he was with Texas, and he was like, this guy's not chasing pitches off the plate, Emo. And I'm like, yeah, that's what good major league hitters do. He's like, well, I, I don't know if I can beat him in or if I need to stay away. I said, yeah, that's what good major, major league hitters make us do. So that's for that uh, ability to command the fastball to both sides of the plate always comes in because – it's hard for hitters to command or to, to uh, control both sides of the plate. For pitchers, in my opinion, if you got good command, you can control both sides of the plate. You just got to know what he's looking for and um, do your homework on what he does well and what you do well and what he doesn't do so well and exploit their weakness if you can cover that with a strength. So I think that's one thing that Jesus has learned over the course of this season is, hey, if I can exploit a hitter's weakness, I got to go to that spot if I if that is a strength of mine. And I think there was a lot of learning from him this year. Uh, now it's, you know, as spring training comes, it's step on the gas even a little bit more to, to really define uh, what he can do. And then I think about Frankie Montas, and it was kind of an up and down. I mean, he was going well, and then he had that kind of the neck and the back, but the stuff is still there, and I think he had some outings in the end that really show you what he could mean. Uh, you know, a, a, a full season for him and a strong off season. what could that do to a guy like Frankie Montas? Well, you know, I've always talked to, about Frankie having some of the best stuff in the American League and in uh, and all of baseball. It's just putting it together on a consistent basis. You know, in 19, he had that great stretch until – those things happened to him. And then he started off the season in, in, in an excellent position. And then, you know, he did have the next shoulder tight thing. I do believe it affected his timing a little bit. We were working on 
trying to get that arm up a little bit uh, quicker and a little bit sooner to, to get his timing back. Um, you know, I, I can't tell you whether, uh, you know, the, the effects of the neck and the, and the shoulder are still there lingering on him throughout the course of the year. But Frankie had always been a guy that always commanded his fastball. And it seemed like to me a little bit that uh, that command of the fastball just wasn't as consistent after that neck injury or shoulder injury, whatever we'll call it. And he just couldn't really find the rhythm or the, um, or the, uh, you know, the timing to, to really locate the baseball. Now the stuff will always play up because it's electric stuff, but you know, generally when guys have some nags, you know, command is the first thing that goes, you know, you look at the command, can he get his body and put his body in some position to make these pitches. Um, but, you know, Frank, Frankie wants to go out there and he wants to pitch and you do see 95 to a hundred out there. So, you know, you're assuming that these guys are feeling good, but based on his command, you know, that's the one thing that we really got to focus on getting back is making sure he's timed up so he can command his fastball. You know, one guy with that we really want to see unleashed, and we know he's got terrific stuff. He just hasn't been able to stay healthy, and that's A.J. Puck. And what a dominant-type starter we think he could be. What kind of expectations can you have for him in 2021? Well, for, for me, the expectations are still there uh, that, that he can be that guy. We just got to get him healthy. We got to get him on the field. We got to get him fresh. You know, I'm sure we'll go into spring training and and evaluate where he's at, and uh, you know, maybe take it a little slow early. And uh, you know, I'm I'm assuming uh, uh, right now we'll, we'll build him up and see where we go from there. But uh, you know, to have AJ and the expectations, the things that that we want. And then, like I always say, he's got to get on that field and, and then he's got to make his starts and, and, and pitch. So, you know, we're looking forward to, you know, a healthy AJ getting out there and, and showing us what he can do. You know, when I, I, I think about the offseason and your guys, is there like a program that you have? Is there like at some point? Because, I mean, my God, we're already in November. We're past Halloween. Next thing you know, Thanksgiving's going to be here. Then then we're staring Christmas. I mean, you already go to Costco and everything's Christmas already. So it's it's like, you know, how does the throwing program, is it different for starters, relievers? What do you guys, what do you want your guys to do in the offseason? Well, generally, uh, December 1st starts our uh, throwing program, which is incorporated with our arm care program and our, and our strength and conditioning uh, program, Nick Paparesta and Josh Cuffey and I, uh, we, we, you know, collaborate, we put this program together uh, and the guys use it as a guideline. So it'll generally start the throwing portion Jan or December 1st. Uh, you'll have about eight to 10 bullpens mixed in. And then as I talk to individuals, uh, you know, you got, you got, you know, 30, 30 so pitchers coming to major league camp. So when you're in communication with those 30, you know, the program can alter a little bit one because of, you know, the facilities that these guys use the ability to be inside and outside, um, and some mechanical adjustments. You know, I've already talked to a few guys that uh, are doing some things, uh, a little bit differently leading into next season. And, um, we just, you know, be in good contact with them. And when they get to spring training, generally they've thrown uh, 10 times off the mound. 
in that area. And, uh, you know, we take them two times a bullpen, one side uh, or uh, one batting practice, and then we start rolling into the game. So, uh, you know, the offseason is, is an important time because uh, guys want to get better. And generally we're all scattered around the, around the country. So uh, time or the communication has to be, you know, for making adjustments with somebody, you know, the, the good old FaceTime and videos show up if guys want to do something different. And then, you know, sometimes you got to let the guys know, you know, really how much do you really want to change or make a difference? You know, obviously, you know, the season didn't end up the way we wanted it to end up. So, you know, there's some guys that, you know, just got to make a little adjustments, whether that's the the way they pitch, how they pitch, uh, the usage of their pitches, and just kind of get into – a little part of the analytics. And that's the one thing that, you know, I grasp myself on in the off season as well as, okay, where can we make an adjustment to be a little bit better, whether it's physically or mentally and usage of pitches and, and how we pitch is something that uh, I dig into a lot in the off season. And, uh, you know, but it's a collaboration too of, of our analytic department and, and of the pitcher, you know, it's, it's one thing for me to have a vision for somebody but it's another for that person to have his own vision. And I always say, if I care about their career more than they care about their career, we're in trouble. Yeah, there's a definite problem there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's something that uh, one of the things that, that I talk about when I talk about you is just not, you know, the old school pitching coach standing behind the mound, watching a guy throw and maybe, you know, working on an arm angle or working on a grip. I mean, you are so into it, not only the science part of it, but the mental part of it. And what I love about you is you're never satisfied with yourself. You're always trying to get better because if you get better, your staff gets better. This just isn't, you know, like like me, I'm just going to play golf all offseason. For you, you're trying to get better. Talk about what you do in the offseason to make sure you're at the cutting edge of everything going on in baseball. Well, you, you know, there's all these new technologies coming out that uh, can uh, read the spin of the baseball, uh, you know, certain ones from different angles. And then there's these markers that you can put on the guys, for, uh, biomechanics. So you're always reading up on the, the new technologies and you're always, uh, you know, dissecting the verbiage that other people are coming up with around the game. But, but the one thing you have to remember is like science and, and like doctors, they practice medicine. So the science is always changing. You know, there's a group out there that'll say long toss isn't good for you. There's a group out there that says long toss is great for you. There's a group out there that says you shouldn't stretch before you throw. You should stretch after you throw. So, you know, everybody uh, has an opinion out there. And, uh, you know, I got a, a group of people I read, a group of uh, research uh, science places on, on pitching that I read. Uh, I collaborate with my friends that I trust that are, are really good pitching coaches and even hitting coaches to listen to them talk about hitting so I can dissect hitting to, to maybe get into the mind of a hitter. Uh, but it's always evolving and it's always changing. So you have to establish some core values to what you believe in and kind of branch off those core values of pitching. You know, I mean, 
one, you still need to throw strikes. You still need to make uh, balls look like strikes so you can get hitters to chase. You, you still need to have a good kinetic chain in your, in your pitching mechanics. Are there different drills that can help me? And even, even some wacky drills you look at and you, you get on YouTube and you, you serve some drills and you start thinking, well, that drill kind of makes sense. So then what happens to me is I make the drill better. I try to make the drill incorporate what this guy's trying to do on a drill and say, yeah, I can see where he's going with this, but I would do this. And so it spins off and, you know, I got a lot of disciples out there and I'm a disciple of a lot of guys out there who I really collaborate with. And even the people that, you know, I disagree with uh, to a degree, I do take uh, some things from them and incorporate some of their stuff into my thinking process as well. And then I branched that off to, to each individual guy. I, I remember um, I went to Europe to help out some kids in Europe. And on the flight home, the movie Knuckleball was on. And boom, one of our pitchers in our organization, when I was the pitching coordinator, immediately came to mind, okay, how can I get this guy to the big leagues? He was an 86, 87 mile an hour fastball guy. Uh, you know, didn't have the greatest breaking ball or a good changeup. And immediately it came to me, let's throw some knuckleballs. And unfortunately, he didn't really want to go through with it. And we ended up letting him go. But those are the things that, you know, when I see certain things, I'm thinking of, okay, I can touch this guy on our staff with that drill. Uh, I think he'll love it. And then, you know, that comes now the trial and error with the, with the pitchers. Well, one of the toughest things, and I asked Jim Duquette about this, the former GM who now is on Sirius XM, about, you know, when there's going to be like trades, you know, Francisco Lindor is being shopped now by the Cleveland Indians, and you're going to go and you're going to go, okay, who do you want? You go, well, no one's played in a year. So when I start thinking about these minor league guys, and I'm sure there's certain minor league guys who you, in your mind, you project them to be big leaguers at some point. Have you kept up with these guys? I'm not, I'm not talking the guys that were in San Jose, not at the alternate side. I'm talking about the other guys. Have you been able to keep uh, in talk with some of these minor leaguers who didn't have a season? Well, I, you know, probably not specific to, to some of the guys in terms of me physically speaking to them. Uh, you know, I know our pitching coordinator, Gil Patterson, uh, you know, talks to the, those guys, you know, but I do watch all their videos from the instructional league. I know Gil will uh, call me and ask me uh, some things and, and I'll watch him. He'll watch him and we'll collaborate and we'll talk about certain guys. Uh, but as far as like physically talking to, to everybody in the organization, you know, that's kind of hard to do. Uh, mostly once we start formulating our um, – our spring training roster and who's coming to big league camp. Obviously I'm, I'm immediately talking to them. And then the guys that I do have relationships from the minor leagues uh, and seeing them and knowing them, I'll talk to them, but you know, it's, it's, it's getting harder and harder because, you know, when I was the bullpen coach in 15, I knew the whole organization and I probably knew most of the organization in 16. And then as you kind of uh, move up the ladder, uh, you're not really engaged with as many minor leaguers as you would like because, you know, you're off in the big league camp and then having your season and, you know, making the playoffs the last three years, you know, instructional leagues pretty much over with. 
so uh, it's a lot of video work. It's a lot of looking at guys, you know, and, and, you know, our minor league pitching coaches do a great job. They post videos every day on our site and, uh, you know, I'm generally watching them and, and talking to our pitching coaches sometimes like, wow, this guy's got some good stuff. And, and so that's a lot of fun. You know, I'm always going to be a guy who's glass half full. And if I'm going to think about these young pitchers, not having the ability to play in a lot of games, I know a lot of them have been working out together. Wherever you live, there's going to be guys from different organizations that you're going to hook up with, or you go back to your old college or high school and you're working out. But, you know, these young pitchers have so much mileage. You know, when I was growing up, they wanted us to play as many sports and we're about the same age, right? They want to, you play basketball. I mean, I, I, I was a quarterback. I played hoops. I played golf. I, you know, these kids now play year round and they got so much mileage on their arms. Could this just be a godsend for some of these young pitchers that they didn't have a full season and they can get stronger heading into 2021? You know, I, I do think it's a, it's a good refresh on the arm because, uh, you know, a lot of these guys who, who didn't even go to instructional league or they weren't at the San Jose camp, they kept throwing bullpens. And, you know, in the bullpen with no hitter, it's a different uh, – it's a, just a different environment. So – and then if, if, if somebody felt like, you know what, I don't feel so good today, I'm going to wait an extra day and throw tomorrow, they always had that option to do that. So they got to the mound fresh each and every time. Uh, you would like to think that that's how they did it. And, uh, you know, like you said, I, I, I do think it's a, it's a, it's a godsend uh, on the, the arm. The one thing, though, you know, being a pitcher and working on your craft and seeing what goes on in the major leagues is how important commanding the baseball really is. And you really don't know if you're commanding the baseball well until you get a hitter in there. And you really don't know if you're sequencing your pitches well until you get a hitter in there. You don't know how good your slider is, your changeup is, and all your pitches are until you get a hitter in there because the hitter will tell you how good your stuff is that day. And um, you know, a lot of these guys who, who threw bullpens um, did get to, you know, in my opinion, keep the arm fresh, but they just didn't really get to see how good their stuff really is or it's improving because the hitter will tell you. That is such a great line. The hitter will tell you how good your stuff is because people will be like, hey, that guy's throwing 98. Hey, that guy's got great stuff. And I'll look at my scorebook and I'll go, yeah, but he's giving up six earned runs. Can't Stuff can't be that great. Well, that's, you know, you know the, 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 the one thing about the, the technology is the technology can give us feedback on what could be good. And then we take that. So you got your guy throwing 96, like you were talking about, and you look at, uh, he gives up six runs and then I'll read the analytics and say, why? And, and try to answer the, why he gave up the six runs. Is he sequencing bad? You know uh, you know, when we talk about guys who uh, about swing and miss stuff, a lot of that time, a lot of that is there's no separation between his fastball and his off speed pitches. So everything is kind of relatively close to the same speed, which in my opinion, hitters, you know, have a much better chance of making contact with the baseball. That's why I always talk about if hitting's timing, pitching is disruption of timing. So if, if I can throw a 95 and a 75, I'm disrupting that timing. You, you look at Bass, uh, 
and and he's got the big breaking ball that can get down to 68 miles an hour and then all of a sudden he can light you up with a 95 96 mile an hour fastball so he shows you that he's got this separation in velocity and and so those are the types of things where I'll take the technology and I'll look at and say okay you know the data is telling me you live in a bad count you can have the best spin rate in, in the world and if you're constantly losing the one one battle you're going to be in trouble you can have great stuff and and if you're in the two one count and losing the one one battle you're going to be in trouble so how can we get you to win the one one count because there's there's really no such thing as good two strike hitters you know there's very few and far that are are what you would consider a good two strike hitter or 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 the batting average for a good two strike hitter is like 215 because uh, you know, most, I think, uh, three, two is the best two strike count. And that's the only count a hitter hits over, uh, 200. So by taking the data and taking the analytics and the, the old school mentality of, you got to be able to, to throw strikes and change speeds, you can merge all this stuff and figure out or help figure out, okay, why is this guy be, getting hit around? And that's the, that's for me, the thing that, you know, I like to dissect is, okay, why are you getting hit or even reverse that? Why are you so good? You know, why do you have the ability to get out where this guy's got, you know, uh, better stuff than you? If you, if you, if you always look at, you know, and I love it is when some guys throw an 88 to 93 and hitters come into the dugout, you know, this is, this is over my whole career, not just saying our hitters, I'm saying in general of my whole life in baseball, this guy stinks, right? And then all of a sudden you look up, he's in the sixth inning and he's given up two hits and no runs. Well, I, I can tell you, you know, you dissect what he's doing is he's pitching, he's changing speeds, he's changing eye levels, uh, he's unpredictable. And those are the types of things that, you know, you can, you can measure uh, uh, with the analytics and see where he's unpredictable or what's he doing so good. And, and, and generally it's those three things that I just mentioned. And so I love taking the numbers, dissecting them even farther. I think I, I, I called it a swaz in the stat within a stat, uh, metric and and you you just keep dissecting the numbers and, and keep dissecting why and you got to answer the why if you can't answer the why you got to keep digging in and, and and get to that and get to that point where you can answer the why you know uh, i know you guys called it the american league division series down in los angeles here on ace cast live we called it home run derby um i don't know if it was the balls i don't know if it was the bats Emo, there were a lot of home runs in that series. Yeah, yeah unfortunately there were, and uh, you know we it, it was a you know it was kind of a tough environment on the fact that you know you're 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 playing all day games, uh, you know you're on a quick infield, uh, and the ball was flying. Um, you know, I remember when we played the Dodgers, uh, you know, two weeks before that in L.A. I felt like, you know, I was like, man, I, I didn't realize the ball flew out of this place. And that was at night. And most, most of the guys assured me that, you know, it's not a launching pad, but, uh, 
you know, it pretty much seemed like a launching pad to me. No excuses, you know. I mean, we we live and learn from it. I hope, you know, it, it's really, you know, it's a tough. It, it was tough to to go home after that series. And I've seen a couple pitches. You know, we made some mistakes in, in locations that um, you know you probably missed spots. But we threw some great pitches and in great spots and, and so did they, you know, they threw some great pitches in good spots that got, got whacked and, and it just, that's why you play the game on the field. And, um, you know, but you'll go back and, and you look at it and you learn from it. Well, the good thing is, is this organization two straight years, winning 97 games last year in a shortened season, winning the division, it's still all about winning the world series. And that's, what's great. The expectations are not going to change going into 2021, and uh, it was a fabulous year. Congratulations to you, uh, the staff, and all the players for, for winning the division, and we'll end on this. You've got one round of golf in. Uh, it can only get better for you at this point. I think I think you got to be excited. Well, yeah. I mean, it was uh, – uh, that's if I play again after that one round. <laughs> you know that's how that yeah you, know, you know how it is you know you, you know golf's a tough sport and if you don't practice you know your expectations for me I don't practice so I don't have high expectations but uh to miss a 10 foot putt for 100 what well, didn't feel good uh you know I made sure I counted up my score with two holes to play uh to see where I was at because I knew I had a terrible front nine well, that was the first time I played golf in uh, 10, 11 months. So, uh, you know, like I said, uh, you can, and you said it, you can only get better from here. Well, I say this, I don't know when, but coming up here pretty soon, let's, let's, let's get into the science of pitching. Cause I know you can talk about that and kind of break it down and really educate our listeners. I think that would be a lot of fun. So when you have some time, we'll, uh, we'll reach back to you and let's do a little science of pitching. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right, buddy. Be safe. We'll talk soon. All right, Tony. I appreciate it. Well, we'd like to thank Dallas Braden, Dan Straley, and A's pitching coach Scott Emerson for joining us on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 